Welcome to the Wandermore Podcast, a podcast for travel enthusiasts, restless nomads, and excursionists alike. What are you drinking over there? I am having a Nostro Azzurro Peroni. It hails from Italy, which is my heritage. <laughs> so this has a place in my heart like no other beer. How about you? <laughs> I am drinking a cocktail called the Woman About Town. Oh, what's in that? It is part whiskey from my heritage, Ireland, and Sinar, Italian, and a sweet vermouth. And it should have a brandy cherry, but it doesn't have a brandy cherry. So drop the ball on the brandy yeah, cherry. Not in our pantry. So we're gonna have to deal with that. Next time. <laughs> well, we are here from our abode in Georgetown. We're gonna be talking about travel. We don't advise that you travel. But in this time, I think there's nothing better, in my opinion, than a bit of escapism. And this week we're gonna head about seventy miles north into San Francisco. <laughs> Frisco. No. That's one of the things we will uh, touch on later. This segment is one of our newest segments called, Hey, we lived there. <laughs> <laughs> we did. This episode is going to be a two-parter because we already hit the two-hour mark. So part one is going to cover history, transportation, hotels, and... How to get there. Fun facts. <laughs> And this is the first one we want to kick off because we were talking about Santa Cruz on our last episode. We did not move to San Francisco first on our nomadic travels. However, from a geographic perspective, this is a good landing point. San Francisco we'll talk about. We will get into the other cities we've lived, such as Seattle, San Diego. Providence, Rhode Island. <laughs> Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, maybe Connecticut, our hometown. Yeah. And D.C., where we currently are. If you are heading into San Francisco, there are actually two airports that are close to you. There's going to be SFO and the other is Oakland. They're actually equidistant to the downtown area of San Francisco. Check both of them. Oakland tends to run a bit cheaper. It's also not as pretty, but if the tickets are much cheaper, do it. And if you can fly into SFO, it's actually a really gorgeous airport for all of you United Airlines and Alaskan Flyers. Those are two hubs there. For all you loungers, FYI, there's both a Amex Lounge and a Delta Lounge, both of which are quite lovely. Yeah, and it was interesting because there's a lot of comparisons made between San Francisco and Seattle for a variety of reasons. And having lived in both, it's interesting because when you get to the airport, you will see so many people clearly from Seattle in that mm -hmm. airport. There are so many flights from Seattle to San Francisco every single day, pre-pandemic. It's just funny to see. Other than Portland, that's the next biggest city south right. of Seattle is going to be San Francisco. Also, both tech hubs. A lot of similarities, which we'll get into in terms of educational background and income level. So we've been on many a flight in which people are landing into San Francisco and they just came from Seattle. Yeah. And also Seattle has a beautiful airport, so another similarity that they have together. Yeah, yeah. I'm imagining that you have some 
introductory discussions about San Francisco and how it got to where it is today. Yeah, so a little background on San Francisco. So it was founded June 29th, 1776 by the Spanish. It's a good year. <laughs> and it was named for St. Francis of Assisi, who I feel like that was the patron saint of pets, right? That's uh, that's in your jurisdiction. Yeah. And then it became quite popular during the California Gold Rush in 1849, making it the largest city on the West Coast at the time. And the California Gold Rush basically brought in a flood of treasure seekers who were also known as... 49ers. Yes. They also brought sourdough bread. Yeah, because it was easy to make, easy to transport... And, and very relevant at this moment in time. But right from its beginning, it literally brought treasure seekers. <laughs> so, you know, you fast forward 200 years or 150 years and it makes sense what it is today. It peaked at status as the largest city on the West Coast between 1870 and 1900, when around 25% of California's population resided in city proper. It's unbelievable. God, I wish our grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents bought then because, ugh. I know. Six well, years later. I was going to say, yeah. maybe six years <laughs> yeah, later. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so six years later, on April 18th, a major earthquake struck San Francisco. Because the earthquake hit such a strategic area, there was a ton of gas lines that were ignited. And so there was a huge fire throughout the city and basically burned out of control for many days. Yet three quarters of the city was destroyed. And, and I don't want to make a joke about this, but it, it really does feel like every major city has had a great fire. Usually these mark times where a city has been able to have sort of a rebirth of sorts, which is exactly. kind of cool to see. Yeah. In, in World War II, San Francisco was actually a major port for service members that were shipping out into the Pacific Theater. And it became the birthplace of the United Nations in 1945. Hence, all the translators. That's so funny. That makes sense. You're right. I know. I wasn't even connecting that. Yeah. And Paul's fun fact from last week. Yeah. yeah. And it also kind of coincides because after the war, mm -hmm. it was such a significant port for people returning from war that it immediately garnered this reputation as a counterculture. And a lot of the history henceforth was because people had a different view on life due to the realities of war. There were a lot of liberalizing attitudes that paired with the hippie counterculture and the sexual revolution and the peace movement. There was a growing opposition to the U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War that actually led to the Summer of Love. Which began in the winter. <laughs> Major debunking happening over here. Yeah. <laughs> and the gay rights movement. Yeah, San Francisco oozes <laughs> liberal thought. And the only places I, I feel that are more liberal are either you get out of San Francisco and you go to Santa Cruz. Like, you know, you mm. like somehow go to a hippie haven outside of a hippie haven mm -hmm. um or i mean yeah or 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 you know outside of this country yeah so it's it's that's that was really that was certainly one of the factors that led us to move there 
San Francisco is the 15th most populous city in the United States and the fourth most populous in California with just over 800,000 residents as of 2019. And it actually covers seven square miles, <laughs> which it's interesting because DC has a similar population to San Francisco. Lies. And you, the two cities could not be more different in terms of well, actually, that's not true. There definitely could be more difference, but mm. it's very different how they're laid out. San Francisco is extremely compact. Yeah. It's built on 50 hills. There's quite a few people living in a small area, which contributes to its real estate issues, but mm -hmm. it also helps with the probably the best subway on the West Coast, um, if not the... Yeah, I would say definitely the best subway yeah. on the West Coast. I think the and third mass, most traversed, yeah. which we'll get into. Yeah, I saw that about the 50 Hills. I did not realize. I, I'm glad that you called that out. And I wonder how many Seattle has. Yeah. Also, I, I wonder if DC was more hilly, how it would be. I think it definitely factors in to the separation of neighborhoods and the separation of residents yeah. and people who visit those neighborhoods. So that we'll get into. Actually, it's the second most densely populated U.S. city. Oh, to your point, New York, exactly behind New York. And out of all the major cities in the United States, San Francisco has the second highest percentage of residents with college degrees. Do you want to know who number one is? Seattle. Fucking Seattle. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I, I didn't know, but I was. That's the only one that would. Yeah, over forty-four percent of adults have a bachelor's or higher degree, and San Francisco had the highest rate at seven thousand. Per square mile, over 344,000 total graduates in its city's 46.7 miles. Wow, that's so... So all the liberal cities are well-educated. That's interesting to yeah. me. I wonder yeah. hmm, what that says, but that's really... I, that's... Dinosaurs aren't real, Paul. <laughs> I don't know what you're getting at. <laughs> in terms of politics, so as we hinted at... It's definitely a liberal area. The Democrats, and to a lesser extent, the Green Party, have dominated city politics since the 1970s. And it was after the last serious Republican challenger for city office lost in 1975. San Francisco has not voted more than 20% for Republican presidential or senatorial candidates since 1988. Unbelievable. <laughs> Wow. So what you're saying is that our votes meant nothing in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. And San Francisco actually participates in the Sister Cities program, which has a total of 41 consulate generals and 23 honorary consulates have offices in San Francisco Bay Area. That's awesome. Yeah. few bits about the financial budget that I thought was interesting. The municipal budget for the fiscal year of 2015 to 2016 was $8.99 And it's one of the largest city budgets in the United States. And the city of San Francisco spends more per resident than any other city, except for one. Do you want to know what city beat out San Francisco in terms of spending per resident? Chicago? Nope. Chicago. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I actually enough. don't know. What? D.C. Oh. Isn't that Crazy? That's interesting. Yeah. Do you have any political facts that you want to add in there? Um, no. <laughs> okay. 
we couldn't talk about San Francisco without talking about notable businesses. Now, I don't always want to highlight the capitalist monsters that are running through San Francisco. However, it is very interesting to hear some of the businesses that have started and thrive in San Francisco. So I think we'll talk about that. Going back old school, Levi Strauss was headquartered and founded in San Francisco. And for some reason, and I don't know why, I've always known that. I don't know if their ads when I was a kid would feature San Francisco. Do you know why? Why? Because the the Levi Strauss, the the style that I feel like we grew up with, always had on the back of the jeans, it had the big leather um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tag, and it said San Francisco on it. Like, it was actually oh. quite a large tag, and it was sewn into the back of all the jeans. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. Because Gap also is from San Francisco, and I had no idea that Gap was from San Francisco till I feel like, a few years ago. Yeah. Gap was founded 105 years after Levi Strauss. Besides those two companies, yeah, um, we could spend an hour discussing it. Uber, Lyft. Dropbox, Reddit. Airbnb, which is banned in San Francisco, but that's where they exist. Yeah. <laughs> Yelp. Literally, there's... Oracle, Salesforce. Salesforce, yeah. There's other companies that, like Square, for example, Twitter. These are all companies that were founded in San Francisco, which is slightly notable because mm. a lot of companies are founded in Mountain View or San Jose. In fact, San Jose is a very popular place for a mm -hmm. lot of the headquarters of these companies. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's now shifting a little bit and companies are actually moving back towards San Francisco because their workers want an urban environment. In and because government subsidies, which is a yeah. thin issue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, organizations in Francisco that I feel like deserve a shout out. Sierra Club, Silent Book Club, and Mother Jones. Wow. Notable cultural and educational institutions. There are a bunch. University of San Francisco. University of California. San Francisco UCSF. San Francisco State University. The DeYoung Museum. The San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, which I absolutely recommend visiting. They had a very cool installation with giant spiders, which I know sounds scary, but spoiler, they're not alive, so it's okay. The SF Jazz Center and the California Academy of Sciences, which I also recommend visiting and we'll get to in the what to do in San Francisco. Other thing, uh, the San Francisco Recyclable Program ah. started in 1980 and was one of the earliest curbside recycling services offered in the United States. Did Were they the ones to create that original green bin that is so synonymous? Oh man, that would be right. I that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, notable people. Okay, so this list is is long too, for sure. And we talked about this the other day. So in terms of notable people, sometimes if they like put their foot in the area, they get considered a notable person for that area. As I found out, we had mentioned before in our Carmel episode that Ansel Adams was a notable person of Carmel. But actually, Ansel Adams was born and raised in San Francisco. So I feel <laughs> right. like there's a little bit of gray area. So right now, we're going to do ones that are fucking badass. If they were impactful in the area, then we'll note them. And then obviously, if they were born there. Yeah. Yeah. 
So top on my list by a, a landslide is Third Eye Blind. Third Eye Blind actually... One of many bands. Yeah. yeah. Their recording studio was three blocks away from us where we lived, which was pretty interesting. And by recording studio, I mean their basement. Yeah, but didn't they turn their recording studio into something? Or yeah, they, then yeah. their second, that? they moved their, like their more official one. Mm. They, they've, yeah, they like turned it into like a, a place where the public could go and record as well. Okay, I thought so. And, and geared towards like up and coming artists yeah. as an affordable medium to record. Yeah. 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 So um, if that didn't knock your socks off, uh, so other notable people, Maya Angelou. Yes. So she actually lived in Oakland. And she moved to Oakland when she was 14. However. Oh, I had 13. Uh-oh. Oh, shoot. Well, if you want to. Because she was actually born in Missouri. Yeah. I didn't know Oakland. Okay. I think she is uh, worthy of mention here. Yes. She, can I, her quote about San Francisco? Yeah. The city became for me the ideal of what I wanted to be as a grown up. Friendly, but never gushing. Cool but not frigid or distant. Distinguished without the awful stiffness. That's awesome. I'll, well, I'll stop there. And... No, no, go ahead. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. Robert Frost. Are. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack London, which... Um... Robert Frost, who was actually born in San Francisco. Yes, yeah, he's a born native. Born in Knob Hill. Yeah. Yes, that's a real place. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> and um... it's funny because there's this neighborhood that is... It, there are two neighborhoods, one called Tenderloin and one called Knob Hill. And then kind of the gray intersection between the two, there is a running local joke that people call it the Tender Knob. <laughs> so y'all can figure out what that means. Yeah. And somehow that's not Castro. <laughs> that's what's interesting. <laughs> um, it's the morning after Castro, am I right? <laughs> Jack London. Mm. And the last one that I wanted to mention, um, but I didn't want to steal your thunder yeah, on yeah, this one, but yeah. um, Harvey Milk. Oh, totally. He was the first openly gay man to be elected to public office in all of California. And when we talk about the Castro neighborhood, we'll talk about memorials for him, along with in Golden Gate Park, there's also a memorial for him. So what are some notable people on your side? Okay, you definitely said some of mine, which right on. Teresa Sparks? who is the CEO of the sex toy company, Good Vibrations. That's awesome. Uh, Margaret Cho, the comedian. Sophia Coppola. Also Janis Joplin, who actually has a house that you can tour when you're going through the Haight-Ashbury area. And Anton LaVey, who is the founder of the Church of Satan. (laughs) No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Also, Danny Glover, mm-hmm. actually born there. Not born there, but is the spirit of San Francisco to a certain extent. Robin Williams. He was actually born in Chicago. And William Hurst. Of the Hearst Castle and of the, um, he was like a, what was a media magnet. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. He was actually born in San Francisco in 1863. He grew up during the gold rush and he took over the San Francisco Examiner when he was 23 years old and he revived it. 
I remember he went with Jack London, right? Yeah, with Jack London and Mark Twain. Awesome. You can visit the Hearst Castle south of San Francisco, closer to San Luis. They do tours that you can schedule and you can walk through the entire property, which is just utterly gorgeous. And a high school throwback for me, the fucking champs. What? The fucking champs. The band, the fucking champs. I've... I've not heard the chance. This is why we weren't friends in high school. (laughs) Other section we're adding. Notable media. San Francisco has been covered widely in movies and TV shows. One of them formed a huge opinion of what we had about San Francisco. It's one of my favorite shows ever. Looking on HBO. It had a two season run and then had a weird like let's make a movie of the ending because we got canceled even though we were an amazing show. That I would gladly watch again and any new movie that comes out even 10 years from now, I will watch again. (laughs) So yeah, even if it's a weird final episode movie remix, that's fine. Anything to get all those characters on the same screen again. A hundred percent. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's amazing. It is definitely one of the more recent depictions I've seen of San Francisco. And by more recent, it's still, I I would say, a good like five, six years old. But it definitely encompasses the tech culture, the gay culture, the millennial lifestyle. Also, the OA season two, which if you haven't seen the OA, another show that I'm just going to die on the soapbox for that shouldn't have been canceled, and it was canceled. And God, the OA season three would be great right now while we're bunkering down. Yeah. But the OA season two is set in San Francisco and they do it justice in the sense that they do not put any kind of Instagram filters over the city. They show it for what it is in the best sense and in the worst sense. Also, Interview with a Vampire, which I have not seen. But apparently when this interview happened with Tom Cruise... The house that Tom Cruise was in is actually on Market Street, not far from the Twitter market we used to go to. Yeah, which is now turned into low-income housing. So that's San Francisco for you. Yeah. Uh, Milk, obviously, which is about Harvey Milk. City of Angels. The library scene, which I don't really remember, but that was shot in San Francisco Public Library. Wow. (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire. We knew that one. That was actually filmed in Pacific Heights. And you can go see that house. We will link to it. Princess Diaries. The Net. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The Pursuit of Happiness. I watched The Net. Side story. (laughs) I watched The Net with my dad. Uh It was right around the time that it was clear to my parents that I liked computers. Uh And I think my dad watched it with me to get an understanding of what (laughs) computers were. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I'll How ask successful him. do you think that was? <laughs> oh, I think he's fluent now. <laughs> also, there are a bunch. I could go on forever. The other one I will say is Sister Act 1 and 2. You can actually see both of the churches from Sister Act 1. I guess Sister Act. It's St. Paul's like Catholic that. Church in Noe Valley. So you can go visit that. We'll link to it. And Sister Act 2 is actually set at St. Peter and Paul's Church in North Beach, which we went by and is really beautiful. And North Beach is one of the areas we'll talk about. So super cool. Full House. Oh, right. Which just FYI to people who have not been to San Francisco, there is the Painted Ladies, 
They are pastel colored Victorian houses on a hill that is the opening shot of Full House. That is one thing. And then the other thing is the actual Full House house is not one of the Painted Ladies. That is located on Broderick Street, and we'll link to that also. And then the last one, because this blew my mind, Rent was filmed in San Francisco. Wow. Not New York. That's awesome. I wonder if that was on purpose. Well, I think part of it is right proximity to L.A., and there are a lot of parts of San Francisco, especially around Mission, that I could see looking like the seedier nightclubs in a former New York. Yeah. To the fact that the Cat Scratch Club, where I work for a living, <laughs> was filmed on Six and Mission. And it's actually Club Six which is two blocks from Blick Art Supplies. Wow. <laughs> so wow. if you're a fan of Rent, you can do a little tour while you're <laughs> in San Francisco. If we're going to San Francisco, let's talk a little bit about best time to go and the weather in San Francisco. Yeah, so the weather in San Francisco is, as you've probably heard, it's, it's chilly. It's 60s all year, consistently. It's chillier than you'd think for California. People yeah. have one idea of California, and typically that idea is L.A., yeah. And it's not the same climate as LA, despite being the same state. Yeah. The best time to go would probably be that late summer, September, October, where totally. the temperatures allegedly get up to 70. But in the year that we lived there, there was one day that was a, a day that I could wear shorts, truly, mm. in one full year. Yeah, I wore it was my birthday. Once. Thank God. Yeah. But. So um, I would expect 60s. In fact, San Francisco knows this about itself. And so does Uniqlo, because mm -hmm. if you're familiar with Uniqlo, the Japanese um, basics brand. If you're not, get familiar with it, because it's amazing and you're welcome. Yeah. They have a vending machine for puffer vests and jackets that... And I think the only one in the entire world, despite them being a, a company out of Japan. Yeah. In SFO. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's because I think a combination of people checking their phones when they land and realizing that it's going to be 61 degrees today... They are chilly. Yeah, they didn't pack appropriately. So we're telling you ahead of time, layers. 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 <laughs> and, and just to, not to harp on this, but mm. I remember when my good friend Chris came mm. to San Francisco, we were walking to get bagels on the second day. He's from New York. Well, he's from Connecticut with me, but he mm. lives, lives in New York. And uh, he, he was just like, wow, every single day feels like the first day of spring. <laughs> every, every morning felt the same. It felt like it was about to get warm, but then it won't get warm. <laughs> and I, that hit me so hard. Like, that was yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's true because among all major U.S. cities, San Francisco has the coolest daily mean, maximum, and minimum temperatures for June, July, and August. And it's actually during the summer that the rising hot air in California's interior valleys create a low pressure area that draws wind from the North Pacific high through the Golden Gate and it creates the characteristic cool winds and fogs that we like to call Carl <laughs> with a K. <laughs> so Carl the Fog is an actual basically entity in the city. I yeah, mean, I think it's our unofficial mascot. Yeah. So where we were in uh, Lower Pacific Heights, we were sort of right in the middle of the city and kind of on the line of sunshine and fog. Mm. So it, it was quite often that we go to our rooftop and could look to our right and see straight fog. Couldn't see the, the water, but 
all the way to the left, East Bay, all of that was completely sunny. And in fact, one time we took a trip to one of our favorite small towns outside of San Francisco. And when we got coming on, up on a future episode, yeah, um, we got on the train, the BART. Yeah, the, it's called the BART. Uh, and it was 92 degrees. And when we got off the BART in downtown San Francisco, it was 63 degrees, which we traveled, I think it was 15 miles inland. And again, this was by, by BART, so it wasn't very far at all. But that just goes to show you how much of a microclimate it is in San Francisco. The fog is actually pronounced in eastern neighborhoods during late summer and early fall. So it's why the the temperatures are so chilly in the summer and people don't expect it because we get the fog and actually we had a running game the tallest the former tallest building in or structure in san francisco is called sutro tower only recently boxed out of that title by salesforce that you can see from most places in san francisco if you could see it it was not foggy if you could partially see it, it was a partial sutro. So it was our gauge, because you can see it consistently throughout the city, of how foggy it actually is. Because sometimes the fog is at such a distance, you don't have the perspective. But sutro was our landmark to tell the level of fogginess. And there's a site that we'll link to. It's fog.today. But <laughs> you can see a loop of the fog rolling in and rolling out. And it's unbelievable, because it you can see it approach basically where we were living and then nope 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 and it swirls all around the golden gate bridge mm. so it's really interesting to see and it's worth spending four minutes on that site 100 percent. and the area that it doesn't hit is actually called the sun belt in san francisco and that would be mission and castro which i mean you should just never leave there in the first place as a result the year's warmest months on average is september and october on average, is warmer than July, especially in the daytime. Temperatures reach or exceed 80 degrees on average only 21 or 23 days a year. And that is a fallacy because 21 days of 80 degrees did not happen. I know. We had, quote, the cold year in the same way that, quote, we had the rainy year in Seattle. <laughs> but are you ready for this? I don't know if I am. The highest recorded temperature on the official National Weather Service was 106 degrees. Do you want to know when that was? Were we there? We were fucking there. It was September 1st, 2017. It was so warm that when we were taking the BART from San Francisco to Berkeley, they had to stop the BART, which was built in the 70s and has not been updated since, multiple times due to overheating. We were there it's on the warmest day ever. I just remember from that trip, the intersection in, where were, what's the um, town? Dublin? Right, uh, yeah. Du Pleasanton. <clears throat> yeah. Bay Area. Yeah. By and a very good fish taco place, Fish on the Grill. <laughs> basically roasting. Yeah. It yeah. was, it was so, and because it, it, it was 106 in, in San Francisco, then it was 115 in Pleasanton. Yeah. So Yeah, there was a full-blown heat rash going on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So how long would you ideally stay in San Francisco? I would say, I think you need to spend at least four days there. Mm. Um, 
I could see even five or six days, honestly. Yeah. Because you have to spend a day in East Bay. You have to go to Berkeley. So when you say I think four five days or six in San days. Francisco. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like Why a, four? So I was I think there's a lot that there's one you could spend a full day in Mission Castro. Okay. You could spend a day doing if you've never been there before. I, I think like we'll, we'll talk about it, but you know the, mm-hmm. the touristy things you can get done in one day for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. W- what about you? I say a week. Okay. And I say that because I think the major neighborhoods, which we'll talk about, I think they all deserve a day because they're so amazing and there's so much to do. And in doing the research for this episode. <laughs> There are like five things that I was like, oh my God, we haven't even done that. And I wanted to do that. It is only seven by seven. However, from a perspective of food places, natural wonders, parks, museums, and just getting to all the neighborhoods, which sometimes are close, but sometimes can be a little sprawly, California style. You know, you're not going to go from mission to inner Richmond in one day, I think. Like, they definitely need their due diligence. So I would say a week. But, so we're staying here. Where are we staying? So San Francisco Because Airbnb hotels, is a no-go. Yeah, Airbnb, Airbnb is a no-go. Um, the hotels are going to be expensive. They are. It, it doesn't matter what time of year. It doesn't matter really what type of hotel. It, it's shocking. Yeah. Like, more than New York. Also, I think because of the limited stock of hotels... In New York, I feel like you can always find the one that's not terrible, but there's just fewer hotels because it's smaller, and the hotels are really only in... I mean, there are hotels in all the neighborhoods, but most of the hotels are going to be in the Union Station, a.k.a. the downtown financial district area. Union Station? Is it not Union Station? Union Square. Damn it, Union Square. (laughs) (laughs) One hotel that I think is absolutely amazing is the Virgin Hotel. The what hotel? The Virgin Hotel. Oh, oh my God. This totally slipped through my cracks. Good shit. I forgot about this. So Virgin Hotel um, is located in pretty much downtown. I mean, it has a beautiful rooftop bar. You can also get lunch there. Um, and quick pause. Okay. So when you say Virgin Hotel, you mean that guy, the airline. This is his first hotel, right? Yeah. 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 What's his name? Richard Branson. Thank you. Yes. Sir Richard Branson. Um, I'm sorry, sir. The guy who parties with Obama on his private island. Yeah. And who owns a house on Billionaire's Row. That too. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of pricing, it's not cheap. I looked it up at off dates. Granted, they could be skewed because of what's going on right now. I couldn't find a date for under 300 a night. Maybe if you have a friend there, crash on their couch. Yeah, that's my number one hotel. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I want the name of that friend (laughs) and their address. So that's that's one hotel that I I I saw. How about you? Oh, was that your only hotel? Well, I had two uh, two other Viceroy hotels, so they're also kind of schmancy. Oh, okay. One's called. Oh, look at you, highbrow, highbrow in San Francisco. Yeah, my my feeling is if you're gonna spend three hundred dollars on a Motel Six, which is not true, it's an exaggeration, but then you might as well spend three hundred and forty dollars on Hotel Zeppelin uh, or Hotel Zeta. Two Viceroy hotels. Oh yeah. That are located again downtown. they're just beautiful. I mean, they're they're very modern. They um, obviously are attracting or trying to attract a, a younger 
crowd. Both of them have several bars. So... In case you don't like one, there's another option for you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's so funny. You didn't... What about the Kimpton we stayed at? Oh, yeah. Well, I yeah. figured you'd I point out some know. other... Oh, okay. Well, okay. So those were those were your three? Yeah. Okay, so high end. If you've watched Looking, it's where Patrick's mother stayed. Very prominent institution in San Francisco is the Fairmont. And it's prominent because it's basically perched up at the top of Knob Hill allowing for very epic views of San Francisco. So I would say if you are older and have money, stay there. <laughs> or if you're going with your rich parents, tag along, stay at the Fairmont. <laughs> or if you just want like that kind of experience. More designy, I would say the proper hotel. Now, uh, okay, I know. I, okay, so disclaimer. Here's the deal. It is in the worst neighborhood in San Francisco. I'm going to say that. However, I will say... I, not necessarily stay there. Fine. Go walk around it because it has two things uncommon in San Francisco. One is that it has a rooftop, which I know yours did also. None of the other places on my list have rooftops. No. And it's the only hotel in the world that's designed by Kelly Wurstler, who is pretty awesome if you are at all into interior design. She actually worked with Cameron Diaz and Gwen Stefani and has just a very notable aesthetic. And she partnered with this hotel, which is pretty cool. Now, I will say, places that I would maybe consider staying, the Phoenix Hotel. Okay, I had that on my list, but then I was thinking, would I stay there because of its location? But Right, like this is the upper part of Tenderloin. Not best location. However, it is a classic California motor lodge aesthetic. It actually opened in 1956 and then reopened in 2017. And it's known for its pretty fucking epic pool parties, which if you've ever seen a motor lodge, you know that the pool is always the central location in the courtyard area and then typically either does a U shape or an L shape around it. So it has that layout and it's actually one of only two landmark swimming pools in the country. That's so cool. Which I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it is. Googling it, I couldn't find out what the other one was. So if y'all know, call us. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a classic California divey but redesigned so it's approachable and wonderful type of hotel and because of its proximity to the the Great American Music Hall which is actually around the corner they've had a lot of famous guests pass through like David Bowie, Neil Young if that's your thing hmm. and fucking Kurt Cobain and they actually have a wall of fame inside that they kept even after the renovation where musicians have been leaving band stickers for decades and they have a bar inside and it's just like a cool vibe right on yeah we're staying around downtown how are we getting around for the most part i think you're probably walking 99 percent of the time but 100%. i do think that if you do if you want to get to an, a place like um outer sunset which is on the water on the actual ocean mm you probably will want to take the Muni. Yes. Which is a part subway, but mostly bus system. It's intra-city. So it's just exactly. basically in San Francisco. Yeah, it's actually the seventh largest transit system in the United States. 
with over 200 million rides in 2006, which I know that's an old stat, but that's what they had. So it's definitely gone up since then. But the system itself operates combined light rail, as you said, subway system, and buses and trolleys. San Francisco was noted as the second most walkable city in the United States by walkscore.com. That's awesome. Second I mean, I to yeah. oh. New York. New York. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know if there was a sleeper in there. <laughs> Boise. <laughs> yeah, I no, knew it. No. So yeah, definitely walking to get around Muni if you are just getting around within San Francisco itself. And if you're wanting to visit Bay Area, the BART, which is Bay Area Transit. And that's to get to Berkeley, Oakland, etc. Cost level set. We've talked about this a bit with the hotels. It's pricey. It is pricey. So to me, I think what's what's different about it and let's say New York, for example, is that it's you can find very cheap things in New York on mm-hmm. pretty much every block to some extent. Whereas in San Francisco, everything seems like it's there's a unique take on it or it's a hot commodity. And I I would say though us being value seekers, there are a ton of dollar oyster happy hours and they're oysters from PEI, not from West Coast, which typically aren't as good. A ton of divey mom and pop taco places, which we'll talk about, and a few places to get a slice of pizza. So it's expensive, but we will point out our favorite cheap eats and bang for your buck value spots. Yeah. The other thing that I do want to talk about, which we've hinted at with San Francisco, is for us was our perfect on paper place. We had lived in DC, we had lived in San Diego, Seattle, and we thought if we continued living in the US, we would buy a home and live in San Francisco for the rest of our lives. There are some things that unfortunately plague the city you had one word for san francisco what would you say dirty san francisco there are places in san francisco that are very out in the open that have significant homeless and frankly desolate looking streets i mean overflowing garbage bins and i mean there are some streets like colleen had mentioned tenderloin that neighborhood we, when we moved there, we were walking, and the, the best way for us to get to Trader Joe's would be to cut through Tenderloin, and kind of a sad, depressing place because it's a community of people who have been clearly overlooked. I agree. The first word, dirty, 100%, and also complicated, because yeah, we're going to talk about some amazing things about San Francisco that were our checkpoints on this perfect paper city and then we're going to talk about some of the harsh realities that we discovered that are not being talked about in a way that I thought they would they're not getting coverage in the way that I thought that they would when we bring up San Francisco to anyone people just light up and I always ask them two questions have you been And if so, when was the last time you visited? Because those are two important things. I think there is a a beautiful nostalgia towards San Francisco in its historical feats and its LGBTQ activism and hippie heartbeat. 
But at the same time, there's present-day San Francisco. And so for some context, should be talked about with San Francisco. We do a safety score on all of our episodes. So the first bit of that is homelessness. In 2017, 7,500 homeless people were officially counted in the city. And two-thirds of those people were dealing with a serious health issue. I think the thing you have to be prepared for is when you're walking down the street, it's very likely you're going to run into a series of four or five tents in a row and a lot of people outside. And there are probably some places that aren't on the outskirts of town. I mean, these are, these are right next to the landmarks. And they're, it's right next to Market Street that runs right through San Francisco. You, you should take caution if you're going to go on certain streets at night. And, and what I will say is, so San Francisco has a much lower crime rate than other major U.S. cities. Petty theft is the most common crime. And a particularly high rate of car break-ins. So I would say don't rent a car. Don't rent a car. People put signs in their windows saying there are no valuables in here. We would walk regularly down our neighborhood street. And the most common thing we'd see on the ground, other than bills, would be glass. And then we'd look up into the right and there would be a broken window in a car. And this was actually one of the safer neighborhoods in the city and we've said this a few times so tenderloin being one of the neighborhoods that we're going to talk about so just for context the biggest takeaway i would say is be aware of your surroundings be aware of looking lost and having your phone out and just not paying attention 70 percent of the city's violent crimes and about one-fourth of the city's murders occur in tenderloin and I'm not trying to scare you guys. Avoid that neighborhood if you can. We didn't know how bad it was, despite doing some research ahead of time. And I've never seen someone shoot heroin in my life. And I've seen it more times than I would like to count in Tenderloin. And I would say I never, as a, as a female in her 30s, walking alone, I never felt... It was unsafe to walk around by myself, and I think that's something that needs to be said. Places you shouldn't avoid. We're going to talk about some of our favorite spots in San Francisco. If you're looking for the typical tourist spots, Rick Steves is out there. He has a guide for that. We're not going to be talking about places like Alcatraz. Uh, We're not going to be talking about the cable car. We're going to be talking about places that we actually went and loved and recommend And so we're going to, the only ones I will say that I would consider are more touristy that I will kick off with and then we will end with that are two places. One is the Ferry Building and the other is the Palace of Fine Arts. Ferry Building was completed in 1898 by an American architect, A. Page Brown, who unfortunately died a year before it was completed in the Beau Art style. And after opening, it was the largest project undertaken in the city at that time. Brown, the architect, designed the clock tower after a 12th-century bell tower in Seville, Spain. Wow. The tower itself is actually 245 feet tall, and each of the four clock dials are 22 feet. 
Oh, wow. And the cool thing about it is it can be seen from Main Street, which is the main thoroughfare of the city. It's right against the water. There are a bunch of really cool places in there, coffee places. There's a really good oyster place in there. Hog Island Oyster. And they have floor-to-ceiling windows against the back of the ferry building, which overlooks the water. Agree completely. Yeah. There are a couple other places, certainly, that we could recommend. One is Dolores Park. How dare you? It's the closest thing to a, a beach that I've seen in without water. And it's, <laughs> it's basically this very steep hill. Mm. It's got, um, it has some tennis courts. And it Six has some, tennis courts. Yeah, and it, and it has uh, like a play area for kids. And, yeah, and that, a that basketball stuff. court. Yeah. Yeah. But it's basically a hill. Yeah. And it's a huge hill. But when you're at the top of it, there is a view of the entire downtown of San Francisco. Which and is gorgeous. If the day gets to be 60 degrees and sunny, um, no matter what time of year, if it's a weekend, that place is so packed. And there is like a whole market going on there. You can buy drugs. You can buy beer. You can buy like jello shooters. You yeah, can buy, yeah. Yeah, people come around and yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, they had a whole initiative. Unpack it, pack it up. Despite your one word about San Francisco as dirty, Dolores Park is not. There's never really any litter around despite the amount of people there. It is what I chose to do on my actual birthday. It is in the area of Mission. It actually, yeah, and just nearish to Castro. It is right by Byright Market, which is one of the places I would recommend going. You can pick up some very beautiful, kind of expensive sundries for your picnic, along with ice cream, which is what they're most famous yeah. for. Insider tip is skip Byright Creamery, because the line is always around the corner for that, that go to the market, they have an ice cream window, and there's, like, never a line there. Yeah. Another place, you may have heard of it, the Golden Gate Park. The Golden Gate Park is a huge... Is it bigger than the park in New York? You're pandering. It's 20% larger than Central Park in New York, and it was modeled after Central Park in terms of the shape, a.k.a. rectangle. (laughs) Yeah. But it, it's so on the on the east side it borders Haight Ashbury. Mm. And on the right side, on the west side, it borders the ocean. So it's and if you look at a map, it, it, honestly, the map doesn't even do it justice for what it is because there are so many different pieces to it. Yeah. And there's the terrain is completely uh, forest. Concerts, there are yeah. trails beyond trails, um, and then there are also a lot of really cute restaurants right outside the park that you can pop in. Yeah. 100%. It's the largest and it's the best known city park in San Francisco. And it was once covered in native grasses and sand dunes in the 1860s. Wow. And within the park, there's the AIDS Memorial Grove, a Dutch windmill, the Conservatory of Flowers, the Japanese Tea Garden, which is rumored to be the site of introduction for the fortune cookie to America, no big deal. No big deal. San Francisco Botanical Garden and the California Academy of Sciences, which I've been to and is fantastic. I would recommend if you happen to be there on a Thursday night to get tickets to their nightlife event 
which happens every Thursday night from 6 to 10. They have a rotating draft cocktail. You can walk around the museum and they have a whole indoor rainforest exhibit that mimics the different levels of the rainforest in terms of vegetation and humidity. Also, there is a gang of buffalo that exists in the park. Over a thousand acres. It's actually three miles long east to west and about a half mile north to south. 24 million visitors annually. It's the third most visited park in the United States after... Central Park. Yes. Yellowstone. Right. Lincoln Memorial. Okay. Which park? I mean, <laughs> you know. So it's badass. Yes. And actually, in all of San Francisco, there are over 220 parks. Yeah, and I, so um, one of those parks, which is a pretty small park, and it's not worth any more than just a walk by, but I think it's worth mentioning, is Probably is Alamo by. Square. So um, it's it's a it's a vertical. You're, so you're walking along Hayes Street, and it's pretty much at the peak of a hill, and you can look down and take wonderful pictures of the painted ladies. And so, it's pretty it's a cool place. Um, it's not definitely not the vibe at all of Dolores Park or any other other parks like that. But it's it's more just a place to relax. People still do chill in the grass, but it's more of a viewing post yeah it gives a great vantage point of the painted ladies 100 percent. also they have a coffee truck that comes in called lady falcon female run female owned so do it up and down the hill from there is the other buy right market so you could easily get coffee at lady falcon get a baguette and some brie at buy right market and just spend a lazy afternoon looking at the painted ladies Absolutely. And it's never too crowded there. Dolores gets crowded in a good way. This place never gets crowded, despite it being a pretty iconic landmark in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. If you're looking for something fun, because we talked about the owner and creator of Good Vibrations is from San Francisco, there is a antique vibrator museum that you can go to. It's open every day, normally. From 12.30 to 6.30, and it's donation only, and you can see vibrators throughout history, which I've been to several museums in my life and never seen those, so it's pretty cool. That's really cool. Another free event is there are several free walking tours throughout San Francisco. They have a whole site. We'll link to it, but you can take them through all different areas. I actually did one myself on Meetup of Billionaire's Row which is another place I recommend visiting, both Billionaire's Row and right adjacent to it is the Lion Street Steps. Billionaire's Row is what you think it's called. It's 18 billionaires, according to the 2015 Forbes ranking of the wealthiest people in the world. It's tying with Mumbai for the eighth most of any city. People like Daniel Steele, Larry Ellison of, what is he, Oracle? Yeah. David Sachs, PayPal? Oh, okay. I think so. And Diane Feinstein also has a house there, which is right by the Lime Street Steps. A great vista. The Lime Street Steps are actually 332 steps. And once you hit the top, when you face outward, you can see the ocean, and it's gorgeous. Yeah. Another park is Lover's Lane in the Presidio. It's a beautiful art installation that we saw just days before we left San Francisco. It was the last of my bucket list items. Yeah. In <laughs> no way would you feel like you're in 
one of the major cities in the U.S. <laughs> it's so, you're so far removed at that point, even though you're about three blocks away from 17 college bars. <laughs> it's true. That's it for this edition of the Wandermore podcast. You can find links to some of the things we talked about on our show page at wandermore.io slash podcast. You can email us at podcast at wandermore.io. You can download our entire catalog of Wandermore when you subscribe. Just search for Wandermore Podcasts in your podcast app of choice. I'm Colleen. And I'm Paul. Until we hang next time. Have a nice trip. Bring on the bourbon, light up the lantern. Light up the lantern. Bring on the bourbon.